Master and, uh, and, and welcome. I, I'm trying to recall if I've ever been to Chelmsford. Um, yeah. I, I'm getting so old now, my memory is not so good. It passed it. I have been. Yes. Oh, wow. You see, I couldn't even remember. And, and to be honest, I, uh, this week I actually received an invitation um, addressed to me personally about entering into a care home. So clearly somebody knows that I'm of an age <laughs> where I might need to leave this house where my children are and go into a care home. So um, clearly somebody's speaking to me or at least wants my custom. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you this evening and, and just to share the word of God and in this, your, your prayer meeting. I want to take our scripture reading from John chapter 3, verse 16. And if I seem a little bit um, distracted at times, I, I've, uh, I, I have a fish tank in my study here in my bedroom and it's making kind of funny sounds. And I'm, well, I'm just hoping it doesn't either explode or um, I have a, an impromptu baptism. But we'll, we'll hopefully get through to the end of the message. John chapter 3, verse 16. You know it. You don't even need to open your Bibles, I'm sure. Nevertheless, it reads as follows. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, it was one of those stories that just captured, arrested my attention. I was a new father, had the first of, we now have three children. The backdrop was the escalating chaos and violence of a country that, that you may never have heard of if you're too young. It was called Yugoslavia. And Yugoslavia at a point was, was broken up and each of the ethnic groups were beginning to fight or defend their sovereignty. Now, I remember the news story up until that time, and it was centered upon United Nations resolutions, political debate and the like. But amidst all of this real, amidst all of this news story, there was also a real life story of of, of anguish, and it came from the Lancashire town of Rochdale near where I lived at the time. You see, the news was interviewing a mother who was anxious, she was worried, she was scared for the safety of her son. You see, her son the young, was going to be the youngest soldier that the British troops were going to send into Bosnia. He was just 17 years of age. And I know there's a number of parents who are in the service here tonight. Can you imagine sending your child into warfare? Well, he was not old enough to vote for the government of his country, but the fact that he was going as part of the peacekeeping troops, he was old enough to die for his country. And the fear of this mother was real, because if the United Nations were to step up military actions, her 17-year-old boy, his life would have been in serious danger. And I was a new parent at the time, and, and I could only imagine the terror and fear of that mother as I was holding my first baby child. Surely this was not what she had imagined for her son and for her son's life. You know, it's a natural part of parenthood to have the best aspirations for our children. As parents, we only want the best 
for our children. The whole process of, of parenthood is one of continual encouragement. And so when my children were toddlers, I experienced the joy of watching them take their first faltering steps, encouraging them as each step they made to my open arms of embrace. I celebrated with them, as did their mother, when they made the steps and came into our arms and sympathized with them when they toppled over. As a parent, I have and continue to give the best that I can for my children. I want them to experience, if possible, a better life than I myself had. And yet the truth of John 3.16, this passage that we know we don't even need to read, that is probably the most well-known scripture verse in Christendom and beyond, is that John 3.16 tells us that God the Father was unable or was not able or chose not to grant the best of this life's goods to his son, Jesus. In John 3.16, we, we, I said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Let's just stop there. You know, when my two sons were, were younger, Anytime, and my daughter as well, very much my daughter. In fact, my daughter, I better not share her age because for some reason women don't like sharing their age. But all my children are adults now. The youngest is 25. Oh dear, I've just shared her age. Oh, she will be. But you know, she sent us a list. I mean, the girl is going to be 25. She sent us a list of what we can get her for her birthday in December. And, you know, my children, from they were young to adults, they would, you know, they would let us know, oh, you could get this for our birthday or you could get that. Now, I grew up <laughs> my parents, I think they were Jehovah's Witness because they never celebrated birthdays. But that's another story. But the message of John 3.16 is not where the father is giving his, is giving, looking to give his son a gift. Rather, the message of John 3.16 is where the Son is given by the Father as a gift to the world. And in fact, on a number of occasions, Jesus made it known that he was sent as a gift to the world by the Father. So in John chapter 6, verse 38, John chapter 6, verse 38, we read, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, Jesus said, but the will of him who sent me. And, so, and then you go into the next chapter, chapter 7 and verse 33. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little longer. And then I go to him who sent me. In these passages, Jesus declared that he was given or he was sent from heaven to earth. He left what he had to come and live among us. Now, there was a time in my life when, when, when you know, um, the impact of this declaration was lost on me. I studied at Newbold and, and, you know, I've been spent six tremendous years at some of the feet of some of the best theologians and scholars there are. But, but, it wasn't at Newbold when I really understood John 3.16. It wasn't because I, it wasn't about the Greek or that, and the Greek and understanding the Greek and, and in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, those are all important things. But there came a point in life where I had to say, 
reflecting on John 3.16, hallelujah, I never understood what the Father did. And it's a true story. It was, it's, it was many years ago. It was in my second district as a minister. And I would regularly visit an elderly gentleman. He was a veteran, actually, of the Second World War. When I met him, he had been a widower for nearly a decade. He's in his old age. His only companionship in life were his pets. He had a cat and a dog. And being in his late 80s, he wasn't able to get out of the house and so very had so and so had very little contact with the outside world. Now I knew, and I would visit him sort of every fortnight and so, and I knew he looked forward to my coming to visit with him. And I tried to visit him, as I said, quite regularly, because he had no he, he had no other uh, company. And I have to say, in all honesty, and I say this to my shame and nothing to my pride, or nothing that I'm proud about, I should say, that whilst he looked forward to my coming to visit, I can't honestly say, and I enjoy pastoral visitation, but I honestly have to admit, Pastor Dr. Melky, I didn't like making this visit. I did it, but I did it out of duty. You see, the problem wasn't him. He was a wonderful, wonderful man. But every time I got to the house, well, it was a bungalow, I kind of had to psych myself up for what was about to occur. And I say, I'm not saying this because I'm proud of it. I, I, I'm ashamed, but this is what helped me understand something about John 3.16. You see, as soon as the door of the bungalow opened, a smell, a stench would hit my nose. It was a combination of unopened windows, a lack of fresh air, um, his own body, which I, I, I don't know, I, I don't think he bathed for months at a time. The stench, the smell was a, was a combination of the cat and the dog, which he, if he wasn't really so keen on personal hygiene, clearly the dog and the cat weren't either looked after. Um, I didn't realize it at the time, but I suspected it that they were flea ridden. Um, the dog had so much fur. Uh, and I even remember the dog's name, Lady. And again, the dog, just as the gentleman, the dog was so friendly and always wanted to come around and, you know, and to play with me. And I'm like, I can't play with this dog. It was, I mean, it was just, the fur was missing. You could see it skin. It was clearly scratching and so on. And, and every time it kind of came near to me, I would like push, push the dog away with my foot and so on. The smell, it was a combination of so many things. There was often rotting dog food, which was under the television in a bowl. There was a toilet when I used it. I mean, it was black. Yeah, I don't know if it was flushed. The only time it seemed like it was ever flushed is when I went there. It was a cluttered lounge. Of, the lounge of the bungalow was cluttered. And, and as I said, I didn't realize it at the time, but I did realize a little later that the place was infested 
with fleas. It was terrible. And again, I'm not sharing this because I'm trying to talk about, you know, I never once sat on the man's sofa. I daren't. And I would always perch myself on the corner of a wooden chair because I thought in my brain, I don't think the fleas will be in that, but in the sofa, in the fabric, they might be there. I touched as little as possible. And, and you say, well, you know, his situation was so bad. He had family, but the family refused to visit. And as a matter of fact, as a church family, we, we pleaded, I pleaded, I did everything I could to secure him help, to say, look, you know, um, brother, I won't give his name. And I said, look, you know, we, 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 it looks like we could give you some help. And he just refused it. He was very polite. He was very gracious. He didn't see his need of anything. He, he flatly refused. And it was only at the point at the insistence of his social worker and doctor that the man was placed in, in, in residential care. And it was then when the cleansing department came into the home, they burned everything in the bungalow because they had to fumigate the place. Then they also discovered not only was it flea ridden, but there was also an infestation of mice and rats. I mean, it was, it was terrible. And again, I'm not sharing this because I'm proud of anything of my actions. He was a most wonderful and kind man, but just couldn't look after himself. And I would remember, I was a, I was a parent, a new parent, and he would give me gifts to take to my baby child. And he gave me dot, he gave me Teddy and so on and so forth. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't give them to my child. Not like that, because I saw where he was coming from. Now, I don't consider myself to be a proud person. But there was no way, no way I could live in a situation like that. My present home is not a palace, but there's no way that I would give up my home, which isn't a palace, which isn't perfect by any means, but I could never, I couldn't fathom or imagine for a moment giving up where I lived to go and live in a situation like that. I couldn't even give my children presents from his home. Do you think I would send my child to live in such a setting? And yet here is the wonder. Here is the power of John chapter 3, verse 16. John chapter 6, verse 38. John chapter 7, verse 33. Because I submit that the transition of Jesus, the Christ, leaving his palatial home in glory to come and live on earth is a step one million billion times greater than we leaving our homes to go and live in a situation like that which I've described. Jesus in leaving heaven took a step beyond our imagining. It's far greater than us giving up our homes to live in a situation of filth or squalor. I mean, could you imagine the news headlines if, if our monarch, our queen, 
decided they're going to leave their royal palaces and come live where we live in Chelmsford or in Dunstable where I live right now. They come and live in my house, in my neighborhood. Could you imagine that? It's unimaginable for the monarchy to do that. They're not giving up Buckingham Palace, Windsor Castle, the Sandringham Estate, and all of their other official residences. You know, the queen, she came when I was living up in Rochdale, you know, she did a drive-by one time, um, literally a drive-by. She waved and, you know, she drove by. She wasn't going to come and live in Rochdale or Dunstable or Chelmsford, no. And yet with Jesus, we're not merely speaking about a mere monarch. We're talking about Jesus, the king above all kings, the Lord above all lords. But he gave up what he had to come live on earth. And and, and further to that, in coming to earth, he didn't choose to live in one of the affluent cities of the world. When Jesus came to earth, he lived in one of the most notorious towns of his time in Judea called Nazareth. Nazareth was a notorious infamous town. It was a terrible place to me to live. You you wouldn't tell people with pride that you came from Nazareth. As a matter of fact, when the prospective disciple Nathaniel heard that the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, was a Nazarene, he cried out in dismay, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? But not only did Jesus come from Nazareth, he did not choose to live in one of its quiet residential neighborhoods with their neatly trimmed lawns and hedges. In fact, when Jesus came to earth, he could have been identified with those men who, who we sometimes, when we are out and about, would try to ignore or act like we haven't seen them because they were homeless and selling copies of the big issue on street corners. Because when Jesus Christ, the Christ, came to this earth, he was effectively homeless. And that was his testimony, Luke 9, 58. And Jesus said to, again, a a prospective disciple, he said, listen, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And think about this for a moment. If our father in heaven only wanted the best for his son, surely he would not have sent his son to this world. But I thank God tonight and every day that he was sent, that he did come, and that he lived among us and indeed beneath us. Now I've noticed as a parent with my three now adult children, that each passing day, as they grew up, it instilled in them a growing independence. At a certain age, or as you as parents, you know it, at a certain age, all they want is the embrace of their mommy and daddy. You know, you hold your child. If you, if somebody in church took the child after, you know, they'll be mommy or daddy. 
But after a while, they found their feet, they learned to walk, they wandered away, they do their own thing. And when we were renting a house uh, and so on, we, we often rented houses in quiet cul-de-sacs, not true rooms. But I was always concerned for the safety of my children when they played outside. Why? Because as a father, mother too, I did not want my children to come to any harm. I watched over them and I would try it and I would intervene to ensure their safety. And the reality is this, whether my children are three years old or 25 years of age, I'm always concerned. When my youngest daughter graduated from university and, and she, she, she decided in her independent self, she's going to China to live for a year and work. And I never forget at Heathrow Airport when mom and her, we dropped her off and she just went off getting onto Air China or China Airlines, I can't remember which, going to the city of Changsha, never heard of the place. She doesn't speak the native Chinese language. I'm like, my baby daughter, what? And my heart, I was tearful because I'm concerned for her. She's, she's an adult in her own mind, but she's still my child. As a parent, I've always want to keep my children from any harm, any danger they might face. And yet think of John 3.16. The safeguarding of his son, Jesus, was not, a, was not an option open to the Father in heaven. He gave his son, he sent his son, knowing that from his birth, he, his child, his son, his beloved, was going to be exposed to great danger. You know, as we come towards this Christmas season, you know, we, we often just read over that story. But just think about it, from the very birth of our Savior, he was exposed to danger. So in Matthew 2.13, we read that the king, the monarch at the time, Herod, tried to kill the baby Jesus. An angel warned Joseph of the threat to baby Jesus. So when he announced to the parents, he said, listen, arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Imagine that. How many of you, and I've seen some little children on the screen today, how many of you would send your child into a place, into a situation where somebody threatens to destroy them? And throughout his short life on earth, the threat of death was always close. When Jesus went back home to Nazareth to preach in the synagogue one Sabbath, and, and again, just kind of shows you not just about the theology, but what a place Nazareth was. He'd only just begun his sermon when the congregation, and remember, he's come home to his home synagogue, to his home church. They were so enraged by what he said, they hauled him outside with the intention of killing him. And so in Luke chapter 4, verse 28 and verse 29, is, you know, it says of his own people, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath, rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. 
I mean, I've been back to my home church, which is Leicester, as it happens. And I, you know, as a young trainee pastor, I preached some bad sermons, but never once did they want to try and kill me. And, and then there was an occasion where Jesus, Jesus committed the heinous crime of healing someone on a Sabbath. Plots were immediately hatched to find a way of killing him. So you read in John chapter 5, verse 16 and 18. For this reason, the Jews, the scripture says, persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Then a little later, therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father. Jesus, in his short life, couldn't travel around his home district of Judea because there were ever people out to kill him. According to John chapter 7 and verse 1, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. You know, we as pastors sometimes talk about the pressures and strains we have in leadership because somebody sends us an email that kind of tells us that, you know, we ain't all of that, etc., etc. Jesus lived, walked under the fear or the threat of death throughout his life. And I come back to John 3.16 and the Father. You see, the heavenly Father, in sending his Son to the earth, exposed him to great danger. And think of this as a parent. I mean, what kind of father would knowingly allow their son to be exposed to such terrible danger? Is this really a God who cares? I can only imagine the fear, the heartache that any parent experiences when their child goes missing. I remember one time my daughter went missing. She was Wow, she was what, maybe about four. Again, we're living in a quiet cul-de-sac. She was playing outside. Mom was watching over her. She was on her little tricycle. And then all of a sudden she disappeared. Trust me, the fear and anxiety until she was found. And as it mattered, she had was playing with a friend. Her friend was a little bit older. Her friend shot off. My little daughter on a tricycle road went off the cul-de-sac through a little narrow path, went towards a main road. And God sent a, a work colleague of my wife who saw my daughter and she just took up my daughter who was crying because she didn't know who this stranger was, bundled her into the car with the tricycle. She's screaming and so on and delivered my daughter safely back home. I can't imagine. I can only imagine, I should say, the fear that and the heartache that any parent experiences if their child goes missing. You know, as a parent, everything is about protection. Everything is about trying to keep them from harm and danger. We just want to keep them protected. <laughs> One of my good friends, a colleague in ministry, he, he tells the story and he, he, he stands much taller than me. He's way, he's six foot plus and you know, and he, he talks, he tells an illustration, uh, well, not an illustration, it's a true story about, you know, how he protects his daughter. He had four boys and a daughter. And, and you know, the daughter did, one time brought a boyfriend home. And he said, and he can do it, he needs a pastor, but he, he, he stands six foot something. 
and he he had this boy come into the house and and he wanted to date his daughter and he just said straight faces anything he said young man if you harm my daughter i will kill you if you think about harming my daughter i will kill you at this point the boy who was dating or was hoping to date his daughter was trembling now he wasn't going to do that in reality but he was trying to make the point don't trouble my child because i'm here to protect her now come to the father god the father knew the dangers his son would face john 3 16 the father wasn't ignorant about anything but the father gave the father sent him. I ask myself, why? Why would you do that? And, and beyond that, when we read when it comes to Easter, you know, or, or, or at other times, you know, how? How, do you, how does a father not intervene when he sees someone cruelly treating his child? How, how do you not intervene? Do, do you as a parent, if you saw your child being molested, being beaten, do you just stand back? How could the father not intervene when he saw men spitting their vile phlegm into the face of the son, of his son? How could the father not intervene when he witnessed Roman soldiers taking whips impregnated with bone and metal, and as they whipped them across the back of his son, tearing the skin away? How does the father not intervene? How do you stand back and not intervene when in a position of power to do so? The experiences of Calvary were no minor suffering. The prophet Isaiah foretold that in Jesus' suffering, and you read this in Isaiah 52, 14, his, he said his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. Jesus was beaten so much he, didn't, he hardly resembled a human being. How does a father not intervene when he sees his son being so cruelly treated? How do you just stand back? How do you not get involved when evil men take your son's hands and feet, impale them against coarse and splintering wood. How do you allow your son to die for a people who were largely undeserving and ungrateful of his sacrifice? How do you do that? How do you step away and allow your son to die alone? Right now, I've not been able to see my mother since March. And, and you know, I, I speak with her on, 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 um, on, on Alexa. We have video calls and so on. But it's still not enough. It's still not enough. I want to be there. I want to be in her presence more. But imagine if I never called her, if I never reached out to her. She's nearly 90. And I want to be with my mother. And COVID and this whole pandemic has separated families for understandable reasons. And yet, 
when the son was dying, he's 33 years. He cries out for his father. He cries out for companionship. There's no excuse of COVID-19 or, or a pandemic. The son cries out in the last moments of life. And we know, many of us know, I've been there. I was at the bedside of my father when he died one Sabbath on March 2013. And there's the son. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? How does a father leave his child to die alone? And the answer to all of these questions is right there in John 3.16. The text that we just trips off our tongue, but we, we sometimes don't understand the power and the impact it should make upon our lives. For God so loved the world. That's you and I. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. You see, the Father God wasn't neglectful. It's just that he loved all of his children. That's us. And to, to save all of his children, he realized he would have to give up. He would have to give. He would have to send his most beloved child, his son. You see, John 3.16 is a declaration that God was not a bad or a neglectful father. John 3.16 declares that God was not irresponsible or uncaring. To the contrary, the father did what he did because he loved all of his children and realized that to give all of his children a chance to be in his presence for eternity, he would have to give up his most precious child so that we might find salvation. And so tonight, how can we reject such a wonderful gift? Whether you celebrate Christmas or not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a gift that comes each and every day, the gift of our Savior Jesus. The Father has given him to us because he wants us to believe in him and to be saved through him. And so it is my appeal that wherever you are in life, whatever decisions you have or have not made, I pray that you would make this decision to accept Jesus Christ, the one who was given, who was sent by the Father because he loves us. And he wants us to spend all of eternity with him, if only we would accept the gift. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight that there is the most precious gift that is our Savior, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for doing what I as a human parent couldn't do. 
Thank you for loving us so much that you gave your son. And we thank you for that. And we thank Jesus that he came. And for us who are so unworthy and at times ungrateful, but he came so that we would have the opportunity to be with you for all eternity. May you continue to impress upon our hearts the wonderful truth of these messages and of this message in particular. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.